Today I'm continuing to teach on Christian philosophy. And the product is Christian philosophy part two, as opposed to part one, which was basically theological things. Now we're talking about what is a Christian philosophy or way of thinking towards abortion. And I tell you, I know that this is a hot item. And again, I say, I said some of the similar things when I was teaching on homosexuality. I really don't understand how a Christian who claims to love God and believes in the Bible can support abortion. And I can just hear people saying, I can't believe you'd say something like that. But let me just ask you this question. If you were to take what the Bible says and put that up against abortion, how can you say you believe in the Bible and you let the Bible influence you in your decisions and then do something that the Bible clearly says is wrong? And the only way I can come to any reconciliation on that is that most people just don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They're just believing what they believe because, for one thing, they've been sold a bill of goods. You'll hear people today talk about, well, a woman has a right to choose and nobody should tell me what to do. You don't have the right to murder anyone. And somebody says, well, see, that's the problem. It's not a real person. It's a fetus. Boy, I hate that terminology because what that does, it demeans the child where it's not a living human being. It's some code name that they give it so that we can refer to killing the fetus and not feel guilty about murder. But from the biblical standpoint, a child is a child from the moment of conception. And uh, they aren't just a hunk of tissue. It is a living, viable human being. And I'm going to be giving some stats. I'm going to be talking about this little baby that was born like 18 months after the uh, egg was fertilized. It was put in cold storage. And during Hurricane Katrina, they evacuated and took this embryo that had been fertilized. Or did I say that right? Anyway, an egg that had been fertilized. I guess an embryo is always fertilized. But anyway, they took this <laughs> uh, fertilized Hey, and they implanted it later, later in a woman. In 18 months after the initial conception, a child was born that is alive today and totally healthy. And that shows that that was a human being 18 months before the birth, nine months before the woman was impregnated with it. It had all of the qualities of a human being. It was a little boy. And anyway, I'm going to be sharing a lot of things with you on this that I think is going to make a difference. First of all, let me just turn to some scriptures in Psalms chapter 139. And I know that when it comes to the abortion issue, a lot of people, they are going to believe what they believe regardless of what the Bible says, regardless of what I say. And I think that one of the reasons that a lot of people are really so pro-abortion is because it's convenient. It fits their lifestyle. They don't have to be responsible They don't have to practice uh, control. They go out and they just use abortion as if it is uh, uh, birth control is what it amounts to. As a matter of fact, right before I get into those scriptures, let me just give you some. This is a survey that was done. It's done by the National Right to Life and it's Lawrence Finer and Reasons U.S. Women Have Abortions, Quantitative and Qualitative Perspectives. Um, 
And it was volume 37, number 3, September 2005 on page 110. I'm just showing you that this is not something I hatched up. This was a survey that was done. And it reveals the reasons that women get abortions. And it says here, they feel unready for child responsibility, 25%. In other words, they just don't want the child. They don't uh, feel ready for it. So 25% of all abortions are because people just aren't ready for it. Well, you know what? If you aren't ready to be a parent, you shouldn't have been ready to have sex. You feel that you can't afford the baby. So it's uh, financial reasons, 23%. So that's nearly, that's 48%, nearly 50% of all abortions are done either because the, the woman just doesn't feel ready to be a mother or doesn't feel like they have enough money. Uh, the third reason is has all the children she wants. Other family responsibilities, 19%. So in other words, this is just totally doesn't want it. Doesn't even feel unprepared or it's not financial reasons. They just don't want it. They just feel like that that's not what they want. So if you add all of that together, that would be 67% of all abortions are done just because you don't feel ready, because you don't feel that you have enough money, or you just flat out don't want it. Relationship problem is another one. Single motherhood, 8% for that. Feel she isn't mature enough, 7% for that. Interference with education, career plans, 4%. Parents, partner, wants an abortion, 1%. Other reasons, 6.5%. Hard cases, according to a U.S. Uh, government thing that has established reasons for abortion, according to the official statistics, less than 7% of all abortions are because of rape or incest or the mother's health or the baby's health. You know, this always is kind of, in a sense, if it wasn't such a tragic thing, it would be amusing that they say that the baby's health is in question, so they kill it. Let me ask you, how could you improve the chances of health by killing the child? That is just perverse. And that there's a lot of people that think, well, it has a, you know, the possibility of being a Down syndrome baby. So rather than let it live with Down syndrome, just kill it. I tell you, no person who is alive and whose mother lets you live should have the right for you to just kill another person because you figure that their quality of life isn't sufficient. You know, many of you have heard statements by uh, Sarah Palin. She has a Down syndrome baby. And uh, she says that that baby has been such a, a blessing to them. He is so full of life. He's given them a lot of love. And for somebody to say that his life isn't valuable enough, it's terrible. And I guarantee you, Sarah Palin and a lot of other people would disagree with your assessment and evaluation of things just because they aren't completely like you. For you to say that they don't have the right to life, that's wrong. And so e even if you took those hard cases, which even people who are anti-abortion will sometimes make an exception for the life of the mother and other things, the vast majority of all abortions are done basically for convenience sake. And the only reason that I can even comprehend that people do that is because they don't know the facts. I'm going to give you a lot of facts up, first, up front. I'm going to start from Scripture and I'm going to share Scripture with you. But eventually I'm going to give you a lot of statistical facts and proof that will show that a child 
is a human being at the moment of conception. I'm going to show it from the Word and also from statistics. And the only way I can even begin to reconcile how a quote-unquote Christian could justify abortion is for them to have bought into the lie that a child isn't truly alive, isn't truly a person until they're born and outside of the womb. Now, if a person was just to bury their head in the sand like, a, like an ostrich and just ignore all of the facts and the proof to the contrary, and if you accepted that a baby in the womb isn't really human until they are alive and outside of the womb, well, then maybe I could understand how you could justify an abortion. But that is contrary to biblical fact. That's contrary to statistical fact. You know, when Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973, they hadn't done any scientific medical studies that had proof that a child was a viable human being with emotions prior to birth outside of the womb. And so in the absence of proof, well, then the liberal court just decided to go ahead and rule that a child inside of the womb has no rights. They aren't human. It was very similar to the Dred Scott case in the 1800s where they ruled that a black man was just property and had no rights as a human being. And the Supreme Court ruled on that back in the 1800s. Well, the Supreme Court ruled that a child has no rights and it's a very similar type of travesty and injustice. And they just assumed this. And yet since that time, since people have made such a grievous mistake, there has been all kinds of scientific research. And again, I'll help establish this as I go further into this uh, teaching. But now there is proof that babies have emotions and that when they are uh, stuck with something, they recoil and they've actually got uh, sonograms of them crying and screaming. There's a film called The Silent Scream that uses ultrasound of a Abortions taking place and it shows the children crying out in pain. You can't hear them because they're in their mother's womb where it's supposed to be safe. But you can see that as they insert instruments and they kill and they insert saline solutions and stuff and it begins to burn and destroy the baby, you can see that the baby is recalling in pain from all of that. And now that we have the scientific proof, if there was any justice, if there was any uh, objectivity, I guarantee you they'd reverse that thing because now the proof shows that a child is a viable person. When, a, when you abort a baby, you are killing a live human being. It's murder. It's murder any way you cut it. And I know that there's people saying, well, I disagree. Well, you've got a right to disagree, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm telling you that this is what the Bible says, and abortion is murder. And some people are saying, well, you're condemning the women that have had abortions. I'm not trying to condemn you, but I'm trying to say that it's wrong so that you'll quit doing it, so that you will have an opinion and share it with somebody else and tell them, don't do this. It's the wrong thing. We need to quit murdering children. We need to quit doing this. I'm not trying to condemn you. I've got friends who've had abortions. I've got one friend that's had three or four abortions and she knows it's wrong. And she's repented of it. And God loves her. And I love her. And she's a good friend. There's no problems. I'm not mad at her. But she would be the first one to tell you that it was wrong. And that it caused her a lot of psychological, emotional trauma. And it's wrong. 
And I'm going to be sharing this with you from a lot of different things. Let me just make one other point before I get into these scriptures. But even if you were to adopt this mindset that a child isn't really human, it's just a hunk of flesh, it's a fetus, until the time that it's born. If you were to accept that, which I disagree with that assessment, but even if you accept that, how could you ever support a partial birth abortion where they actually deliver the child, where the child is alive and living and functioning outside of the womb by your own argument, then that would have to be a living human being. And yet in a partial birth abortion, they deliver the child alive and then they stick an instrument into the brain and literally suck either the fluid or the brain out, I'm not sure, but they literally just kill a living baby. You know, I know the things that I'm saying are offensive to a lot of people and they think you can't say things like this. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not trying to hurt people. I'm not trying to slander anybody. I am not out against a single individual. I am just trying to say that, look, this is what the Bible says. Here's what statistics say. From any way you want to cut this, if you would be honest and be uh, fair about this, it is not a matter of a woman's choice. There is not a civilized country on the face of the earth that gives any woman the choice to kill another person. The issue isn't over choice. The issue is over, is that a viable living human being? And if it is, if it is a human being, then you do not have the right to murder anybody. And if you've done it, then you need to face it as sin. You need to repent. You need to turn from it. And you need to turn to the Lord and let God heal you of this. I'm not against you, but I am against the practice. And I want to change your opinion so that you won't do it again. And even if you say, well, it's not a factor with me. I'm past childbearing age. It's no longer an issue with me. Well, you still got an opinion. And you are going to influence somebody with that opinion. And you need to get the right opinion so that you can stop this. We have now killed over 50 million babies since 1973 when Roe versus Wade became legal. And I'll be giving more stats on that later and showing some of these things. 50 million children murdered. And I guarantee you that's wrong. It's just wrong. Again, I refer back to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I guarantee you, murdering children is a sin. Murdering anybody is a sin. But to take somebody as innocent as being in their mother's womb and to have the mother willingly, intentionally kill that child is terrible. All murder is bad, but to murder an innocent child in their mother's womb has to be the worst of all murder. And I can tell that there's people upset with me, but you know what? Galatians 4.16 says, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Show me where I'm wrong in this. The only way you could differ with what I'm saying is if you don't believe that is a real human being. Science has proven it's a real human being. I'll give you some stats. The Bible proves it. I'm going to give you some scriptures right now on this. In Psalms chapter 139 and in verse... um, 13, it says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. 
Now here again is the Lord talking about an unborn child while they're still in their mother's womb and it says that God had covered them while they were in their mother's womb. Talking about an interaction between God and this person who wrote it, which was David. And David is saying that God had covered him in his mother's womb. God didn't have some kind of a relationship with the fetus or with a hunk of flesh. This was a real person, David. And he says in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest part of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, which would be referring to the fact that he wasn't completely developed. He wasn't outside of the womb. He wasn't a complete human being in the sense that some people define it. He says, Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Now that's a little wordy in the King James, but here's what he's saying, that God knew his substance before it was totally developed, that he had written down in his book all of his members... God had recorded exactly what David was going to look like. He knew his eye color. He knew his hair color. He knew his height. He knew his complexion. The Bible says that David was ruddy. And they aren't sure if that's referring to just a pretty, a handsome looking individual or if it was talking about red skinned or red hair. But anyway, God knew all of those substance. I mean, all of the things and had written them down, had recorded that. Did you know, just think about this based on this verse. God had recorded all of these things about him before he was ever born. These over 50 million babies who have been killed in the last 36 years in just the United States alone, all of them had their full potential, their hair color, their eye color, their skin color, their sex, their height, their weight. All of these things were recorded by God. You didn't just abort a hunk of tissue. It wasn't just a matter of your convenience and the fact that you didn't want any children. You didn't feel prepared for them or whatever. You know what? This was a person that God had recorded all of these stats on, had all of these things written out about them, and it's written down in God's book. That person never was given the opportunity to live outside of their mother's womb, but it, they were a live human being, over 50 million people in 36 years who have all of these details recorded by God about them were aborted. And you know what? God didn't record this over just a hunk of flesh, over some something that hadn't yet had life breathed into it. These are real human beings that have been murdered. And they've been murdered in the name of justice and freedom of choice. And they put this spin on it about, I'm pro-choice. No, you don't have the choice to kill an infant. That's not a choice. That's just murder. It's wrong. And I'm not saying this trying to hurt anybody, but I'm saying you can't fix the problem until you decide what it is. The problem isn't that you were just inconvenienced and that this was an imposition on you. You know, you should have thought about all those things before you go out and have sex. If you don't want a child, don't have sex. And I guarantee you, you will not get pregnant. You ought to practice a little bit of responsibility rather than using abortion 
as birth control. That's just wrong. I am not trying to condemn people, but I am trying to condemn that practice. And I'm saying to those of you who have aborted, that you know what, there is forgiveness, and God can forgive you. I remember that when I started the pregnancy center, in, or helped start the pregnancy center in Colorado Springs, that there was actually a man who came and looked at the movie that we were showing, and he says, I'm so glad you're doing this. He says, I was aborted. And I said, how did you live through this? And he says, there were twins, and he was like 50 years old, and this is, you know, a long, long time ago. And he said that it was back before they did sonograms. They didn't realize that there were two in there. They killed his brother that came out and honestly didn't realize that there was a second child. And he was kind of just uh, delivered and lived through it. And so they allowed him to live. And he says, you know what? If it would have been up to my mother, she would have killed me. And he says, I'm so glad that she didn't wipe my life out. I'm so glad that God gave me the opportunity to live. No living person ought to have the choice of killing a child. That's just not right. That's not something that God has empowered us to do. And that's what abortion is. It is murder. And so it's not a matter of pro-choice. It's a matter of do you have the right to take an unborn child's life? They are a living human being. And here's another scriptural passage that makes this very, very clearly. This is talking about when Mary, the mother of Jesus, had had the angel appear unto her and tell her that she was going to conceive and have a child. And and the angel told her that your cousin Elizabeth is also six months into her pregnancy. And uh, Elizabeth was an old woman. It was past time. She had ceased to function in a way that she could bear children. And so it was an absolute miracle for her to be pregnant. And so Mary immediately went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And here's the account of this in Luke chapter 1. And it says in verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judea, or Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And she goes on to bless Mary. But look, there's a couple of things here. One of them is it says, As soon as the sound of Mary's voice came into Elizabeth's ear, it says that the babe leapt for joy. Now see, one of the arguments is, really the only argument that anybody could justify abortion on is to say that that child is not a living human being, they do not feel, they do not think, therefore they're just a hunk of flesh or they use this code word fetus to devalue the person and make them like they're just a hunk of flesh. And so therefore you aren't killing a life, you're just, it's your choice, that's totally your body. That is not what science says. I'm going to be giving you some of these things to show you that when that child is conceived from the moment of conception, that begins to be a separate individual, a viable individual on their own. But this right here really proves it from Scripture. 
that John the Baptist, this was six months into the pregnancy, three months before his birth, and he leapt for joy. So here is showing a child having joy and not just, you know, some kind of a jerk or something that somebody can interpret as joy. This is scripture explaining that he leapt for joy. I mean, he didn't just have a little bit of emotion. He was ecstatic. This six-month-old unborn child in the womb leapt for joy. And here's another point is that uh, earlier in this chapter, it was prophesied by the angel Gabriel to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, that he would have a child and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb talking about while he was in his mother's womb, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, at this time, people didn't have the Holy Spirit the way that we have the Holy Spirit today, where he comes and abides with us. Prior to the uh, church age, the Holy Spirit came upon people, and he did enter into people on occasion, but it wasn't a constant thing. That's the reason that David said in Psalms 51, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. It was appropriate for him to pray that because it wasn't a constant abiding thing. But in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's with us always, what the scripture says. So now it's a commonplace thing. But in these days when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, this was exceptional. It was abnormal. It wasn't something that was an everyday occurrence. And for the word to make special mention of the fact that she was filled with the Holy Spirit and then she said that the babe leapt in my womb, it doesn't take a rocket science to put these two things together and say that this is when John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit. It was prophesied earlier that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This is where it happened. And here's the significance of that. Again, the whole argument that people make for abortion is that that is not a human being. It is not a real child. They aren't alive. They aren't alive until they're born. And to make that uh, statement, you have to believe that prior to that time that this is not a viable person. They aren't thinking. They don't feel anything. They couldn't have joy. And certainly, God would not fill just a hunk of tissue with the Holy Spirit. You know, there is no such thing as a tumor being filled with the Holy Spirit or a tree being filled with the Holy Spirit. The only thing that gets filled with the Holy Spirit are people. And so for John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb at six months into the pregnancy and he felt emotion and joy and leapt for joy, these are proofs that God interacted with a real human being. John the Baptist was a person that felt emotion and, sh- and leapt for joy when he was only six months into that pregnancy. Now again, if you believe the Word, which it's obvious that a lot of people don't believe the Word, but if you believe the Word, this ought to be proof positive that that child, at least at six months, is a viable human being. And I'm going to go through, and I've got some stats here that I'll be dealing with to show you that by the time the child is... Let me just give you a little tease on this. I won't go into the whole thing. But in day 22 of conception, this is long before the mother usually realizes that she's even pregnant. It says the heart of the baby begins to beat with the child's own blood different uh, in type than the mother's. 
You know what? That is no longer just a part of that woman's body. It has a separate blood type, which the scripture says that the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so this is a separate being, a separate life with a different blood type. Its heart is already beating with its own blood just on day 22. And so science goes all the way back. And I believe, according to the scriptures, that it's all the way back to conception. The child is a living, viable human being at conception. Now, does that mean that it's ready to live outside of the womb? No, God planted that child in the womb to grow and mature. But, you know, you could take the logic that a child on its own isn't fit to live without help after it's delivered and after it's born. You still have to feed it. You have to clean it. You have to take care of it. You have to protect it. You have to provide it with the right environment and temperature and clothes and all of these things. A child can't exist on its own outside of the womb. I mean, I don't know exactly what age you have to say that a person can exist on their own. And if you were to talk about the psychological and the mental training that goes with it, you could just keep pushing this thing back until you say that a person isn't a real person until they're 12 years old or it's teenage years. And then you would be able to argue that whether or not their aliens abducted them, sucked their brains out when they become teenagers. (laughs) But I'm just saying that, you know what, if you keep following this logic that a child has to be able to subsist on their own before you consider them a human being, well, then where do you draw the line? It certainly can't be drawn at birth. certainly can't be drawn at one year old. It certainly, I mean, you just can keep extending that. The truth is that at the moment of conception, that is a real person. John the Baptist leapt for joy and was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Here's another scripture that bears out this same point. In Jeremiah chapter 1, the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah and calling him into the ministry. And here's what he said in Jeremiah chapter 1 in verse 4. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. And again, I could just keep amplifying this and saying this, that the Lord didn't know just a hunk of flesh, just a couple of tissues, just a fetus. The Lord knew a person and He called him and put gifts and callings into him. The same thing is said over in Galatians chapter 1, I believe it's around verse 15, that the Apostle Paul said, When it pleased God who separated me unto the gospel from my mother's womb and called me to preach the gospel. The Lord had a plan for Paul while he was still in his mother's womb. Here's Jeremiah. The Lord told him, before I even formed you, before you were even conceived, God knew all about him and had called him and ordained him to be a prophet unto the nations. Again, this shows an interaction, a relationship between God and Jeremiah. And Isaiah said the same thing. And uh, Paul said the same thing in Galatians chapter 1. And the scripture says, God is no respecter of persons. It may have only uh, highlighted these few individuals and pointed them out, but God treats all of us the same way. David said that before he was even formed, before he, while all of his parts were imperfect, they were still written down. God had relationship with David before he ever existed outside of the womb. He had the same thing with Paul. He had the same thing with um, Jeremiah and 
John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, if words mean anything to you, then this is the Scripture's stand on when is a person a person. And they become a person at the moment of conception. They become a person the moment that they are conceived. And even though they are still dependent upon that mother and there is a development and a growth process for nine months that is necessary, in God's eyes, they are a real viable person. And if you take the life of an unborn child, it's murder. It may not be considered murder by the United States Supreme Court or by many of the courts and the societies around the world, but Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. For any of you who have any commitment at all to the Lord, then I challenge you to base it on what God's Word says. I've given you at least half a dozen examples that talk about how that a child is alive and a human being, a viable, independent life. Not independent in the sense that they don't need development and help and protection, but even a child after birth is still dependent. They have to be fed. They can't feed themselves. They can't take care of themselves. They can't burp themselves. They can't... Uh, go out and provide a living for themselves, they are still dependent. Just because it is the child is dependent upon the mother for uh, sustenance and growth and protection doesn't mean it's not a real human being. And this is really what the whole issue on abortion comes down to. It's not a matter of choice. It's not a matter of convenience. This is a real life. And if you conceive a life then you know what? You do not have the right to take that life. I tell you, people, if they want to exercise choice, you ought to exercise choice before you get pregnant. And if you get pregnant, well, then you know what? I've known lots of people. Matter of fact, there's this one lady, Jody Stayhauer, who's a pastor's wife. And I used to have a lot more relationship with her and her husband about 20 years ago or something. I used to go to their church, but... Uh, she gave me her testimony. I've publicized it in my newsletter before. And she had a situation where she was raped by a man of a different race. And it was a violent thing. And you know what? She could have, it would have been considered acceptable by a lot of people to abort that child. But as she prayed about it, God told her that that child is a real person. And you can't, haven't got the right to take the life of a person. And I think at that time she was single. And it was traumatic in every way. Economically, it was a pain. And there was just, you know, all of the issues that people bring up. She felt all of them. And yet she said she knew that this was a person and that this was someone that God had created and that she didn't have the right to take the life. And so Jody chose to go ahead and bring this child to term and birth. And uh, at the time she gave me this testimony, it's probably been 15 or 20 years ago, man, she was just praising God about the way that God had worked it out, had provided the finances, had uh, caused her to marry her husband. They were pastoring a church. Things were working out. There were good things going on. God can provide. I can also give you an instance of uh, just recently there was somebody who their baby was diagnosed as Down syndrome. And the medical profession tried to get them to abort that baby. And they just prayed about it and they said, you know, they haven't got the right to take the life of a child. This is just ironic to me that people would think, but the quality of this child's life is going to be 
compromised, and so let's just kill it and totally eliminate life so that it won't have to struggle. Man, that is crazy. That is perverted. That is perverted. That's the same logic that people with euthanasia are using. And once you cross this threshold and once you start deciding that this child's life isn't valuable enough and it because it's different than somebody else, then it's not worthy to live. Well, then where what are you going to start doing? Are you going to start engineering uh, because it doesn't have blue eyes and blonde hair that you're going to eliminate that life because you wanted this type of child? There's people that are talking about that. They're getting to the point where they can make some of those decisions. That's crazy. That's wrong. And the person I was thinking about that had the child that was diagnosed with the Down syndrome, they believed God and they stood. And did you know that that child turned out to be perfect and normal? Those tests aren't 100%. And even if they were 100%, and if the child did have Down syndrome, that's still not a right for you to take their life. I know some Down syndrome people that haven't been healed. I know some that have been healed. And that's, that's another thing is that if you factor the power of God in, you know, God could heal that deal. There's no reason that they have to be killed because they have some kind of a health issue. But even if they don't get healed, I know some people with Down syndrome that are very happy people and that, man, they have a good quality of life. It's not exactly the same as everybody else. But who are you to say that that's not worthy of them living? I'm telling you, it all boils down to this. Is the child a human being when it's conceived or only after it's born or only after it's old enough that it can feed itself and earn a living and take care of itself and it's educated itself. And I mean, where do you draw the line? The scripture draws the line. God had relationship with children in the womb. He filled John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit before he was ever born. While he was six months into that pregnancy and John the Baptist had emotion and leapt for joy. Based on that, did you know that all of the children that are aborted, they feel this. You know, I helped start a pregnancy center here in Colorado Springs. And one of the things that we do is when we give away free pregnancy tests and they now have ultrasound equipment that focus on the family donated and they will take the woman in and they'll find, they'll find out if she's pregnant or not, but then they'll give her some information about what is really going on in her and they will actually give her a free ultrasound And when they see the child and when they see that it's a viable human being, and in many times, many cases, you can actually see the sex of the child, tell if it's a little boy or a little girl. And you can see it moving around and you can see its fingers and and toes. When you can see these kind of things, did you know that the vast majority of the women choose not to have an abortion? There was actually a newspaper article written many years ago And it showed that in this county of El Paso, where Colorado Springs is, that the abortion rate was cut in half. And the entire abortion rate in the state of Colorado went down one-third. And they credited it to the pregnancy centers that were started. And those pregnancy centers have made a difference. The actual abortion rate has declined. And there's multiple factors, but one of them is that people are beginning to see the truth. And I tell you, if, if you persist saying that it's just totally up to the woman whether she has an abortion or not, and you make it an issue of women's rights, you are just burying your head in the sand of all of the facts and the information that shows that that is a viable human being. 
22 days into the pregnancy before the woman even knows she's pregnant. It's already got its own heartbeat and its own blood type. It is a separate human being. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And those are just the facts. And I hope that you let the facts get in the way of what you believe. This is an important issue. Here's some facts that are from science. I got this from the National Right to Life website. But these are just scientific facts. It's got pictures in here. I don't know if we will be able to show you the pictures because they are trying to find out if these things are copyrighted and if we can use them. But many of you have seen this one on the Internet. There was uh, some kind of a neo, uh, surgery being done on a baby that was still in the mother's womb. And they had this picture of the womb and the blood all over the place. And here is a hole in the top. And this doctor was working in there with some kind of a delicate instrument. And this little hand came out and grabbed the doctor's thumb right there. And the hand, the whole hand wrapped around just the uh, little fingernail on that hand. I tell you what, that's when you see something like that, to think that you are killing a human being that could reach out and grab somebody's thumb, that puts it in a whole different category. You know, if when they do an abortion, if they were to show you the aborted baby and you could see the fingernails and the eye and the feet and the hands... I guarantee you people would feel differently about this. You would know instinctively that that's not just a hunk of flesh, that that's a real viable human being who just was never given the chance to develop and become what God wanted them to do. So that's what all of these scientific things are saying. On day six, the embryo uh, implants into the uterus of the woman. Day 22, the heart begins to beat with the child's own blood often a different type than the mother's. Now, this is really important because the Scripture says in Leviticus that the life of the flesh is in the blood. One of the ways that you tell an individual from another individual is by their blood type. And in that blood, you can see if they're healthy, if there's disease, if there's all of these kind of things. And so this is on just the 22nd day, three weeks into pregnancy, usually before the woman even realizes that she's pregnant, they already have their own heart beating, pumping their own individual type of blood through them. How you can say that is not a separate human being. It's not the mother's blood. It is their own blood. They have already developed their own system. Now, this is what science says. In uh, week three, by the end of the third week, the child's backbone, spinal column, and nervous system are forming. The liver, kidneys, and intestines begin to take shape. Week four, by the end of week four, the child is 10,000 times larger than the fertilized egg. Man, a tremendous growth. Uh, week five, the eyes, legs, and hands begin to develop. You know, again, I'm not sure that we'll be able to show you these pictures, but I've got a picture right here, a close-up, a sonogram of a five-week-old baby's eye, and you can see it developing. That is not just a hunk of flesh. It is a real, viable human being. Uh, and in week six, the brain waves are detected. Mouth and lips are present. Fingernails are forming at week six. Week seven, eyelids, 
toes form. The nose is distinct. You can make it out. The baby is kicking and swimming at seven weeks. At eight weeks, every organ is in place. Bones begin to replace cartilage and fingerprints begin to form. Now again, the argument is that this is not a separate human being. This is my own body. It's mine to do with what I want to. Well, here's a baby with fingerprints beginning to form at week eight. And again, how do we distinguish people? Fingerprints are universally accepted that if you have your own individual fingerprints, then you are a separate human being. An eight-week-old baby in their mother's womb begins to develop their own fingerprints and the baby can hear at eight weeks. And you know, I've heard studies, I don't have any of these stats in front of me, but I've heard studies about how playing certain type of music can affect the baby's mood. They begin to start hearing and experiencing feelings. And like I talked about from Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist leapt for joy in his mother's womb. In weeks 9 and 10, teeth begin to form, fingernails develop, the baby can turn his head and frown. The baby can hiccup. At 9 and 10 weeks, at 10 and 11 weeks, the baby can breathe amniotic fluid and urinate. Week 11, the baby can grasp objects placed in the hand. All organ systems are functioning. The baby has a skeletal structure, nerves, and circulation. You know, again, we aren't told this. When you go to get an abortion, you are told, well, sure, you can do this and nothing to it. They don't tell you all of these things. If they were to tell you that that child that you are aborting can already grab a person's hand, that it can hear, that it can feel, all of these things, people would feel differently about this. At week 12, the baby has all of the parts necessary to experience pain, including nerves, spinal cord, a thalamus. Vocal cords are complete. The baby can suck its thumb at week 12, 12 weeks into the pregnancy. That child is already exhibiting a lot of the symptoms that a child outside of the womb has. You know, it is not just a hunk of flesh. It is a viable person. At uh, week 14, at this age, the heart pumps several quarts of blood through the body every day. Week 15, the baby has an adult's taste buds. And uh, in month 4 which would be, I guess, week 16. The bone marrow is now beginning to form. The heart is pumping 25 quarts of blood a day. By the end of of month four, the baby will be 8 to 10 inches in length and will weigh up to half a pound. Uh, Week 17, the baby can have dreams, rapid eye movement, sleep. Again, this is all describing a viable human being. Week 19, babies can routinely... Uh, be saved at 21 to 22 weeks and they can live outside of the womb with uh, attention at a hospital. And on and on, all of these things go. Week 20, the earliest stage at which partial birth abortions are performed. At 20 weeks, the baby recognizes his mother's voice. You know, this is amazing. And you could just go on and talk about this. But all of these things are to say that this is a real human being. It's a separate human being with its own heart, pumping its own blood, a different blood type. Its body is developing. It's having dreams of its own, completely separate from the mother. The point that I'm trying to make through all of this is that the only logical argument 
that I have ever heard for abortion is that it's not a person. It's my body. I can do what I want. In the face of science and the development that science has to where they show that at just two weeks or three weeks, 22 days into the pregnancy, the heart is already pumping an individual, unique blood type. You can't argue that this is your own body. It's a separate person, their own individual blood type, their own uh, fingerprints. And therefore, it's not a matter of choice in what you do with your own body. It's a matter of murder. You know, there's a lot of scriptures that talk against taking another person's life. They're so numerous and so obvious, I'm not going to take time to turn over to all of them. But there are different degrees. Like, for instance, if you, are, if you kill a person in self-defense, the scripture gives you a pass on that because you are defending yourself or your property. If you kill a person because they've killed another person, then that's justice and it's a deterrent to other people and that's actually commanded in Genesis chapter 9. But then there are scriptures that talk about taking the life of another person and uh, again, if it is in self-defense or something, it might be accepted, but when it is premeditated, that is something that is to be punished. And then the scripture even goes another step and says that God was judging people because they had innocent blood. You know, to go out and kill a person uh, in combat or something like that is one thing. To kill a person out of just nothing but uh, premeditation and selfishness is one thing. But you can't get any more innocent than a child being in the mother's womb. And there's a number of scriptures that talk about that, man, you have the blood of innocence upon your hand. And it doesn't, you know, the terminology there doesn't specify, but I think that that's talking about people who have done things like committed abortion. And boy, God hated that. It's the same thing as all type of sexual sins are wrong. But, you know, there's a difference between um, adultery, which is bad, and homosexuality, which is infinitely worse. If you were to look in the 19th chapter of the book of Genesis, you find that Lot, when the men of the city came and wanted to have sex with these two angels that came to him, he said, this is an abomination. This is such a terrible thing. It'd be better for you to take my daughters and have sex with them and abuse them than it would these men. Now, that's not saying that it's okay to have this immoral, ungodly type of sexual relationship with a girl, but I'm saying that that shows how abhorred uh, homosexuality was, how people hated it so much that it would even be better for you to take some innocent girl and have sexual relationship with her than to have a homosexual relationship. Well, likewise, it's wrong to kill. It's wrong to murder somebody because you're robbing or because of whatever reason. But man, to kill a child in their mother's womb is just absolutely wrong. And it is being done out of convenience. It's being done out of who knows what reason. You know, I was talking about people that had been told that their baby had Down syndrome and that the doctors recommended a uh, abortion. Well, one of my employees came in and they were telling me that when they had their young child that they went and got all of the necessary tests and they were doing a test to see if the child had um, Down syndrome. And they said, well, you know, we don't believe in that. We don't want this test is basically what they were trying to say. And they said, well, it's just standard. We're going to do this. And one of the questions was, well, how accurate are those tests? And the doctor says, well, they're about 50-50. And, you know, this is amazing to me that a doctor 
is saying 50-50. Did you know that if you flip a coin, you got 50-50 chance? You would be just as well to sit there and flip a coin and say, heads, down syndrome, tail, normal. That's crazy. And yet this is exactly what people are doing and people are killing their babies when there isn't even any guarantee that they have Down syndrome. 50-50 chance. And they're killing their babies and saying that that's their right and their prerogative. And they look at this as somehow or another they're doing the baby a favor. I tell you, brothers and sisters, we got a perverted society that we live in. And I, I just need to say these things. I need to get this out and say from the Word of God that this is not right. That is a viable human being. I've shown you scriptures, multiple scriptures that shows that God has relationships with babies in the womb. I've shown you scientific things that say all of the development stages and that the child is an individual, completely separate heart and blood type by 22 days into the pregnancy. I've shown you all of these things and yet there's a lot of people that aren't going to let any facts get into the way of what they believe because it's accepted and because it's promoted. There are people that are just going to sit there and persist and they're going to bury their head in the sand. But you know what? You can say it any way you want to. It's murder. It's a, it's a living human being and you do not have the right to murder another person. I don't care whether you planned it I don't care whether you're prepared for it. I don't care if you're a single mom or whatever. People say, but the child's going to grow up in poverty or whatever. You know, if push comes to shove, which I believe God can change your situation and God could give you a, a mate and God could help you financially and if you live in an abusive situation, God could change that. So there's a lot of things that could happen. But in the worst case scenario, have the child and give it up for adoption. And there's a backlog of people that are trying to adopt children and they have to go overseas to places to get them because we are aborting all of the available children in the United States. There's just no reason. There is no reason to abort a child other than just your personal convenience and you are literally killing a human being in order to just make your life a little bit less hectic. And you know, the sad fact is, in this pregnancy center that we've started, we've got a group that we call PACE, Post-Abortion Counseling Education. And uh, they go into uh, high schools and present abstinence. They have programs for women who've already got abortion. We aren't just trying to condemn people. We're trying to help people. We're trying to stop abortions, but then people that have had abortions, we're trying to help them. And I mean the statistics are just amazing that once a person has abortion, the psychological, emotional damage that it does to them, not to even mention the physical damage. There's a lot of women that have used abortion like birth control and now they want to have children and they can't because it is damaging to your body. And you aren't told these things. You aren't given all of the facts. So I want to share some of these statistics with you about... Abortion, we've, uh, like I said, already been dealing with it from a scriptural standpoint. Since abortion was legalized in the United States, and this is just in the United States alone, since 1973, there have been, as of January of 2009, 49 million, and I think it was 800,000. I don't have that figure right in front of me. And of course, um, but anyway, over 49 million abortions in the United States from 1973 until January the 1st of uh, 2009. 
And of course, since that time, I, I think I can safely say we're averaging over 1.5 million abortions per year in the United States alone. And so uh, it is very safe to say that there are well over 50 million abortions in the United States since the 1973 Supreme Court decision. And, you know, if you were to just look at this from an economic standpoint, let's at the moment just forget faith and forget all of those things, which I don't do, but I'm saying there's a lot of people that will not uh, come to this conclusion based on just what the Bible says. They don't believe it. But if you looked at it just from a financial standpoint, think what would happen if we had 50 million more people. And remember, since 1973, this has now been over uh, 36 years that we've been performing abortions. And so many, many, probably the majority of those would be in an uh, um, age bracket where they would be producing finances. Think what it would do if we had 50 million more people in the system and probably at least 30 million of those actually being wage earners, wage producers. Think what that would do to our economy. Think what that would do to Social Security, which one of the problems that's happening with Social Security is that we have more older people than we have younger people because we've aborted 50 million younger people. And therefore, the money flowing into the system is not equal to the money going out. And you hear this debate all of the time, but very seldom do people bring up the fact that if we had 50 million more wage earners in the system, we wouldn't even be having this discussion over the Social Security deal. Now, see, again, I'm not saying that these are the major concerns. With me, the major concern is what the Word of God says and that it's the murder of an innocent child. But if you were to just look at it from a financial standpoint, if you were to look at it from the uh, productivity standpoint and all of the gifts and the talents and the ability of these 50 million people that have been aborted, you know, if you were to look at it from a totally secular standpoint, I don't know how anybody could justify this level of abortion. As a matter of fact, I've got a number of stats here. And when the Roe versus Wade decision was made and also Doe versus Bolton, these were two landmark cases that basically legalized abortion in the United States. The arguments that the pro-abortionists were making was that there was like as many as five to 10,000 uh, abortions being done illegally in the United States per year. And I have some of the very people, um, I'm not sure that I'll take time to find all of this in this great mass of information I've got, but one is named Bernard Nathanson, and he was one of the leaders in the abortion right movement. He has since then uh, admitted that when they were saying that there was five to 10,000 abortions being done in the United States illegally prior to 1973. He admits that those figures were totally false, that it is probably closer to 500 to 1,000, that this was inflated to make the situation worse. And uh, part of the other things that they said were that if they legalized abortion, that abortion would probably actually go down, that uh, child abuse would be decreased, and all of these kind of things. Well, Here's some of the stats that prove these things. Uh, in the first number of decades, the first two decades after the legalization, uh, the um, 
Abortion rate in the United States skyrocketed to where now we're doing one million abortions per year plus. Also, after legalization, the number of child abuse cases in uh, more than quadrupled. Or I'm not sure how to say that. Quinn, anyway, here's what it was. It reached more than 870,000 cases of child abuse in 2004. The number of births to unmarried women more than tripled with more than 1.4 million births recorded in 2004. So here's my point. They were saying that this would decrease the number of single parent and unwed mothers having children. It would decrease child abuse. The exact opposite has been true. And some people who, again, hold a philosophy that morality has nothing to do with anything. It's all chemical and there should be just education and all of these things will solve it. Those people would come up at a loss to say why that happens. But it's very obvious from Scripture that when you cross a moral threshold and you no longer feel any conviction about killing an unborn child, in the mother's womb. I mean, it ought to be the safest place on the face of the earth. Once you cross that threshold and you in your mind justify the murder of an individual, then I guarantee you it's very easy to justify abusing a child and looking at them as if they are somehow less than a full person because they are, are young or because they've done something wrong. Uh, it's very easy to see this if you look at things from a moral perspective. But these people were arguing that actually child abuse would go down if we increased abortion. In other words, let's just kill them, get rid of the unwanted children, and we wouldn't see as much child abuse. The exact opposite has been true. It was also argued that the number of births among unwed mothers would go down. It has quadrupled, tripled. It's just amazing how it's gone up. Uh, in 2003, 43% of women who had abortions in the U.S. had at least one previous abortion. And this is showing that it becomes a pattern. As a matter of fact, today, abortion is used by many women as just a form of birth control. No responsibility, no discipline, no taking uh, responsibility for their own actions whatsoever. They go out and live a promiscuous lifestyle and use abortion as a form of birth control. And I know that there's going to be people who will criticize me over that and say, how dare you say that? There are a lot of uh, married women who are using this and things. The stats are that around 50% of all abortions are done on, on women who are not married. It is not done. I, I don't know how you could call the killing of a child responsible in any way, but even if you don't think that the child is a living human being, again, it's not being done by people who are in committed relationships. The majority of abortions are being done by single, unwed mothers who have not accepted responsibility and yet are going out and having sex with people and getting pregnant. And according to Scripture, that is immoral. Once you cross the line and you start being immoral and killing a child, I mean, if you can kill that child on the inside of you, what's to keep you uh, from having relationships with whomever, whatever? I know that there's a lot of people don't like what I'm saying, but I'm telling you that this is the way that a Christian philosophy towards abortion should be.
Here's some other facts. It says these hard cases, which are defined as where the life of the mother is in danger, there has been rape or incest, or they will talk about the health of the child. And when abortion was being promoted before the 73 uh, Roe versus Wade decision that legalized it, this was one of the major arguments. They don't tell you about all of the uh, teenagers, and I forget the exact figure here. I'm sure I've got it in these um, figures here someplace. But they were telling you that uh, instead of bringing up these things and showing that people would use abortion just to kill unwanted children, instead they would bring up the cases, well, what about rape? What about incest? What about where the life of the mother is in danger? And according to the laws of 1973, you couldn't even uh, get rid of the child. You had to do everything you could to save the child's life, even if the life of the mother was in danger. And they would bring up these isolated cases to be able to solicit sympathy and to make a point for abortion. Well, here are the stats that these hard cases where the mother life is in danger or there was rape or incest or what they consider the child has uh, some predisposition to Down syndrome or something like that and so they consider that the quality of their life is not going to be good. That only amounts for 1% of all abortions. There have been some studies that have increased that up to 7% but any way you look at it, a fraction of all abortions are done because of risk to the mother's life, because of rape or incest. I've got friends who were raped and they decided that it was still a life and they went ahead and had the child and man, that child has been nothing but a blessing to them. I'm not saying that even rape and incest is a valid reason for abortion. I think that possibly if the mother's life is going to be in danger, well then, you know, that is... Uh, little bit of a different issue. If one of the two is going to die, well, then there has to be some choice about which one. And you might be able to debate that. But I think that most godly people would sit there and give the priority to the child. But anyway, if you just look at this in the hardest case that you possibly can, a fraction of all abortions are done for what is called these hard cases. The rest of the reasons are they just don't want the pregnancy. They don't feel uh, psychologically or financially able to handle it. It's an inconvenience. It's going to cramp their lifestyle. How can they continue to play and do the party scene and go from bar to bar and be this person that they choose to be if they are pregnant? And those are not valid reasons. And you know, I know that there's people upset with me because I'm saying this, but I'm telling you, these are the facts. These are the facts that you can get them even from uh, the Planned Parenthood, anybody. These are just the facts. One to a maximum of 3% of all abortions are done for any reason that could possibly be justified. And again, I, I even believe that a very small percentage of those are truly justifiable. It says more than three quarters, that's 80% of all abortions are among unmarried women with, again, around 30% of those being performed on teenagers who aren't married or still living in home, things like this. 80% of all abortions are among unmarried women. 
people. What abortion has done has allowed people to go out and live an ungodly lifestyle and basically skip the consequences, or so they think. Uh, Boy, there's just so much to share. It says uh, there are health risks and there are mental and emotional risks that go along with abortion that you aren't going to be told very often. It says women face a number of possible physical complications, including hemorrhage, Uh, requiring transfusion, perforation of the uterus, cardiac arrest, major unintended surgery, infection resulting in hospitalization, convulsions, undiagnosed tubal pregnancy, cervical laceration, uterine rupture, and death. As a matter of fact, here's another stat sheet that I have over here, and this says that legal abortion is reported as the fifth leading cause of maternal death in the United States. And then they have a footnote on this that even though this is the fifth leading cause, they believe it's probably a much greater cause of death because when they have complications, if they get an infection and if uh, hemorrhage and other things, it will be attributed to surgery or it could be attributed to an infection and it's not always reported as being abortion related. So if you take this into account, I think that uh, the fifth leading cause is probably very generous in saying this. It's actually a lot worse than that. Breast cancer, the risk of breast cancer doubles after an abortion and rises even further with two or more abortions. And again, this isn't put out by some religious thing. This is talking about a medical fact that if you have an abortion, it increases your risk of breast cancer. The more abortions you have, the more risk it increases. Now again, if there was some kind of a pill, if there was some kind of a food that you were eating, if there was any objectivity at all, well then these people who are so concerned about all of these health risks and stuff would be crying against abortion. But that is not politically correct. And they don't want to do that. And so again, it's hypocritical. And also, once a woman has had an abortion, it says abortion is associated with cervical and uterine damage, which may increase the risk of premature delivery, complications of labor, and abnormal development of the placenta and later pregnancy. These reproductive complications are the leading causes of handicaps among newborns. So not only is abortion killing the children, but then the women who have abortions have an increased risk of all of these uh, pregnancy-related problems that cause handicaps among children. There's also a study here that uh, studied 1,428 women and found that after a pregnancy loss that was uh, from induced abortion, that they had a lower overall health among uh, their counterparts. And it goes into quite a bit of detail on this. But uh, one of the things it says that they visited their family doctors 80% more than the women who had not had an abortion and 180% more for psychological reasons. You know, the psychological reasons are to me every bit as severe as all of these physical things, and yet most people are just ignoring this and talking about that there is no risk to you whatsoever. It says all women, especially young teenagers, are at risk for damage to their cervix during an abortion, which can lead to complications with later pregnancies. That's what that other stat that I was talking about was just deciding. It says a Finnish study 
of suicide after pregnancy found that suicide rate after an abortion was three times the general suicide rate and six times that associated with birth. Again, if there was any objectivity, if this wasn't biased, if people didn't have an agenda, and if they were to look at this abortion from only a human standpoint, not even factoring in the fact that the Bible teaches that this is a viable person and that you're committing murder. If you were to just look at these things, the women who have abortions, they have three times, that's 300, the suicides, 300%, the suicide rate of women who don't have abortions and to those who have given birth six times as much suicide as those who go ahead and keep the child and give birth. And on and on we could go. You know, I ran out of time. There is just a lot more. But the point that I'm trying to make is that any way you want to slice it, this is not only a religious issue. If you look at it from a moral standpoint, if you look at it from a statistical standpoint, just about the health of the woman, the complications that go with uh, pregnancies after, the suicide, the depression rate, and all of these things. There is no justification for this. This is a harmful thing, not only to the child, of course, that is being murdered, but it's harmful to the woman. And again, there are people who will think that I'm just out and I'm trying to hurt people and I'm trying to condemn people. I'm trying to help you. I see an action that is not only killing an unborn child, but is damaging women. And I've known a number of women who've had abortions and they have shared and I've heard them firsthand talk about the hurt and the pain that it was to them. And I'm telling you, if you are in a situation where you're even considering this, or if you know someone who is, you have an opinion. You ought to look at this and you ought to reject abortion just on the basis of all of these physical, natural things, as well as what the scriptures have to say. Even if you say, well, this doesn't relate to me. Well, you've got an opinion. And I can guarantee you this comes up. And you need to make, your, make sure that your opinion is based on what the Word of God says and that you aren't just putting your light under a bushel and hiding it. You need to let it shine.